But yesterday, a whole planet had shouted, Hail Radska! Hail the leader! Today, they were screaming, Death to Radska! Kill the tyrant! The palace, where Hradska, surrounded by his sycophants and guards, had lorded it over a solar system, was now an inferno. Those who had been too closely identified with the dictator's rule to hope for forgiveness were fighting to the last, seeking only a quick death in combat. One by one, their isolated points of resistance were being wiped out. The corridors and chambers of the huge palace were thronged with rebels, loud with their shouts, and with the rasping hiss of heat-beams and the crash of blasters, reeking with the stench of scorched plastic and burned flesh, of hot metal and charred fabric. The living quarters were overrun. The mobs smashed down walls and tore up floors in search of secret hiding places. They found strange things. The spaceship that had been built under one of the domes, in readiness for flight to the still-loyal colonies on Mars or the asteroid belt, for instance. But Hradska himself they could not find. At last the search reached the new tower, which reared its head five thousand feet above the palace, the highest thing in the city. They blasted down the huge steel doors, cut the power from the energy screens. They landed from anti-grav cars on the upper levels. But except for barriers of metal and concrete and energy, they met with no opposition. Finally, they came to the spiral stairway which led up to the great metal sphere which capped the whole structure. General Zarvis, the army commander who had placed himself at the head of the revolt, stood with his foot on the lowest step, his followers behind him. There was Prince Bervani, the leader of the old nobility, and Gorzesko Orm, the merchant, and between them stood Tob, the chieftain of the mutinous slaves. There were clerks, laborers, poor but haughty nobles, and wealthy merchants who had long been forced to hide their riches from the dictator's tax-gatherers, and soldiers and spacemen. "'You'd better let some of us go first, sir,' General Zarvis orderly, a blood-stained bandage about his head, his uniform in rags, suggested. "'You don't know what might be up there.' The general shook his head. I'll go first. Zarvas Paul was not the man to send subordinates into danger ahead of himself. To tell the truth, I'm afraid we won't find anything at all up there. You mean? Gorzesko Orm began. The time machine, Zarvas Paul replied. If he's managed to get it finished, the great mind only knows where he may be now, or when. He loosened the blaster in his holster and started up the long spiral. His followers spread out below. Sharpshooters took position to cover his ascent. Prince Bravani and Tob the slave started to follow him. They hesitated as each motioned the other to precede him. Then the nobleman followed the general, his blaster drawn, and the brawny slave behind him. The door at the top was open, and Zarvas Paul stepped through but there was nothing in the great spherical room except a raised dais some fifty feet in diameter, its polished metal top strangely clean and empty, and a crumpled heap of burned cloth and charred flesh that had not long ago been a man. An old man with a white beard and the seven-pointed star of the learned brothers on his breast advanced to meet the armed intruders. 
So, he is gone, Kradzi Zago? Zarvas Paul said, holstering his weapon. Gone in the time machine, to hide in yesterday or tomorrow, and you let him go? The old one nodded. He had a blaster, and I had none. He indicated the body on the floor. Zoldi Jarv had no blaster either, but he tried to stop Hradska. See, he squandered his life as a fool squanders his money, getting nothing for it. And a man's life is not money, Zarvas Paul.'